Welcome to the County Pulse, Episode 6. This podcast is developed by the Virginia Association of Counties and shares with our listeners the pulse of Virginia's county governments. I'm Dean Lynch, Executive Director of the Virginia Association of Counties, and your host for this segment on behavioral health care. Our segment today is sponsored by Enterprise Fleet Management, which is a new business partner for Virginia counties. My guest today, Dr. Hughes Melton, Commissioner of the Department of Behavioral Health and Development Services. Dr. Melton was appointed by Governor Northam as Commissioner in April 2018. Previously, he served as Chief Chief Deputy Commissioner of Public Health and Preparedness for the Virginia Department of Health, where he led the agency's response to the addiction crisis in Virginia. Prior to his time with the Virginia Department of Health, Dr. Melton served in senior leadership roles at a major hospital system serving Southwest Virginia and Northeast Tennessee. He also established an addiction treatment clinic and a family medicine practice in Southwest Virginia. Welcome, Dr. Melton. Good afternoon, Dean. For our listeners who may not be familiar, could you give us an overview of the responsibilities of your agency? Absolutely. So the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services fundamentally works with the uh, state mental hospitals and with the community service boards that serve the 95 counties in Virginia. And it's important to recognize that typically the community service boards uh, and the state hospitals are the first point of entry to Virginia's public behavioral health system. There are many providers in your members' uh, regions that are private providers and provide services as well. But in particular, for those individuals who are underinsured, they may have insurance, but it doesn't necessarily pay for the needs that they have and the behavioral health uh, care needs for themselves or their uninsured This is the service that uh, provides care uh, to them. And then also we work directly with the community service boards uh, with a performance contract where we uh, provide to them funds from the General Assembly as well as from the federal government so they can provide these services. Now, Dr. Milton, I know that uh, there are very varying forms of community service boards in Virginia. I think we have 40 boards currently in Virginia, and they represent – uh, multi-jurisdiction or some single jurisdiction. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And part of the the, the service that these uh, CSBs, community service boards, provide is addiction services and other treatment services throughout Virginia. Is that correct? That's they are correct. The- I mean, we typically think of three major services that they provide, individuals with the disease of addiction, individuals with mental health uh, issues, and individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And Uh, The community service boards have developed over time really to meet the needs of their community. And each community is different. Um, Different levels of of individuals or different numbers of individuals with those different types of diseases and differing levels of of, um, uh, private providers. So you can imagine the community service board that's in the shadow of uh, Charlottesville in the University of Virginia health system that they need to provide different services than the community service board that worked in my uh, original place where I worked in Russell County in Southwest Virginia. And so the community service boards have to adapt to um, what currently exists in their local community. Mental health is clearly a topic of intense interest at the state level. And there are some major initiatives underway to improve the mental health system in Virginia. Could you talk for a moment about STEP Virginia? What does it mean? How is it being implemented? And what are the benefits of STEP Virginia? Absolutely. Thanks for asking, Dean. The STEP Virginia stands for System 
transformation, excellence, and performance. And like I was saying earlier, each community service board looks different based off of its relationships with its local jurisdictions, sometimes one, sometimes as many as 10, as well as its population and their needs and the current providers in the system and in the region. But we realized uh, four or five years ago that while there is variation uh, in terms of the services that need to be available, there do need to be a core set of services that are available to any Virginian. And that is what the Deeds Commission and the Department of Behavioral Health and other stakeholders started working on and uh, to put together Step Virginia. It is basically 11 services that will be available at every single CSB when we're finished rolling out the services. Now, those 11 services, uh, can you describe maybe some of those some of those services? Sure. I'd, I'd like to focus on the ones that currently have received funding uh, for delivery. So uh, starting in 2017, the General Assembly started to fund uh, same-day access. And same-day access is a key part of behavioral health, which means when somebody needs services, they can walk into a community service board and be assessed at that time. Uh, behavioral health uh, diseases like addiction and mental health Uh, Often the individual is interested in treatment for a short period of time, and if you can't uh, connect with them and assess them at that time, if you give them an appointment 10 days later, they often do not show up. So the initial efforts around uh, Step Virginia and that first step of same-day access uh, was focused on that. The next two steps that we received funding for are uh, for primary care screening, Uh, which we're just beginning now to uh, roll out the funds for those. And that is where we found that individuals who have serious mental illness and substance abuse diagnoses, they often have a lot of other medical issues, whether it's hepatitis C or diabetes or hypertension that is out of control. And so the community service boards need to at least identify that the individual has one of those conditions and then connect them to primary care. So that's primary care screening. And then the third step that we receive funding for is outpatient services. And that's what most people think of in terms of counseling, group uh, services where individual come in for comes in for um, group counseling intensive outpatient therapy sort of what you tend to think of as common services that are available to somebody to uh, help them better understand their uh, mental health diagnosis or their substance use disorder and uh, to then get uh, treatment to uh, make that disease have less of an impact on their life Dr. Melton, while you've identified it, at least three of these services that are, have been funded are funded by the state, are these also a part of the performance contract? They are. And the performance contract is the agreement between the agency and the community service board on uh, if we, we are going to give you these funds uh, for each CSB has their own contract and it spells out how many dollars they receive and then in return, what our expectations are, uh, that uh, in terms of number of visits they would provide as an example. Uh, and we're moving towards a performance contract that um, instead of focusing mainly on number of visits and number of people seen, we're gonna focus more on outcomes. How are the individuals doing in the community? Are they um, more stable? Are they functioning better? Are they able to take care of their family members and themselves? Are they able to become employed and become a contributing members in the community? 
Another issue we know the legislature and the administration are very concerned about is the situation with inpatient psychiatric bed use at state hospitals. What's going on with this issue? There has been a major shift in the types of individuals who are being admitted to our state psychiatric hospitals, as well as the number of individuals. Uh, since mainly the uh, passage of the bed of last resort uh, back in 2014. Uh, the exact increase is about 276, 276% increase in TDO admissions, and those are admissions where somebody comes into the ER with a, um, a life-threatening situation. The a common one would be threatening suicide, and, um, and so they're not, they're assessed, they're not felt to be safe to leave the ER, and so the process of doing a temporary detaining order uh, begins, and the bed of last resort law made it that that had to uh, begin to, to occur after eight hours. And uh, when it changed the dynamic, what we found was that more and more of the individuals who were getting a TDO ended up coming to the state hospitals instead of to our private hospitals. And the resulting um, impact of that has been our state mental hospitals have gone from what would be a normal census level of about 85% to 95% or higher. So the number of beds that have a patient in them at any given time uh, normally would be about 85%. You need some buffer there to allow for uh, patients coming in and patients being discharged out. So 85% is what's considered a safe, typical census and the state hospitals are running about 95% on any given day. Dr. Melton, does this, this uh, psychiatric in-state in bed use, does it have an impact on our community service boards? And what is the role of the community service boards in, in doing the TDO and, and searching for a, a bed space? Right. It, it does have a role on the – it does have an impact on the community service boards. For one thing, they're – uh, individuals in their community who need the services sometimes are traveling or being transported many, many hours to a facility outside of their region because there's no bed available at the state psychiatric hospital in their region and the private hospitals in the region have declined to take the admission. And so it, it removes that individual from their known environment with their family, with the community service board members that usually take care of them, and places them at a distance. And it makes it hard for that community service board to track how the individual is doing and then when they come back into community to reintegrate them into the community. Um, the other uh, impact, or the, the role of the community service board uh, that we're focusing on to try and do what we can to um, decrease the number of individuals being admitted to the state hospitals is sort of on the front end and the back end. And so the community service boards are seeking to find individuals who aren't doing well and intervene before it gets so bad that they come into the emergency room. And we have certain services. One example is mobile crisis, uh, where we actually have teams that will go to an individual who is identified as being in crisis, sometimes by family members, sometimes by local law enforcement, and seek to intervene and stabilize and avoid that admission. And then on the back end, um, individuals, they're in the hospital now. We want to um, give them the treatment that they need, but then as soon as they don't need to be in the hospital, 
we want to get them back into their community because that's where uh, they're going to be able to improve if they have the services around them that they need to be successful. And so uh, community service boards are actively uh, building the capacity to be able to provide to those individuals coming out of the hospitals what they need to be successful. The most important thing we've found is housing. If somebody's in the state hospital and they don't have a living situation to go back to uh, that's stable and supportive, then if they come out of the hospital and they go someplace and it's not like that, then they end up going back into the hospital. And so the community service boards are very busy uh, identifying housing, building uh, permanent supportive housing options, uh, uh, building out the services, the counseling and outpatient services I mentioned earlier uh, that Step Virginia is seeking to provide funding for so that the person comes out of the facility and in a sense settles into a quote-unquote behavioral health home, a home that has the services that they need available to them that will keep them stable in their disease. One issue that we've been hearing from our members about is the general fund reductions to the community service boards that were included in the biennium budget as part of the Medicaid expansion. Essentially, the budget assumes that community service boards will make up for those reductions by billing Medicaid for services that they are providing to people who previously had no insurance. There is some concern that those general fund savings may not materialize before the general fund reductions take effect. How is your department addressing that situation? Thanks, Dean. And let me uh, start by saying you're exactly right that we're watching it very, very closely. And the funds that come into a community service board is, are what allow them to care for those most vulnerable citizens in their community. So uh, when, we, when we first started looking at Medicaid expansion and the 400,000 individuals who didn't have insurance who are now going to have insurance, we reached out and started working with the community service boards and the Virginia Association of Community Service Boards to, to, to decide what formula and what information are we going to use to determine um, how, uh, how many uninsured they had, how many of those did they think would receive coverage, and um, what kind of revenue that new coverage might provide to the community service board. And using that information and working with the VA uh, CSB, we put together those um, initial uh, estimates on the budget reduction. And that's what um, sort of went forward. And, um, and then when it became a reality that Medicaid was actually expanded and we got the final number from the General Assembly as to the uh, reduction for the remainder of this fiscal year of 2018, 2019, sorry. Um, and, uh, and then the follow-on number, we went back to the Virginia Association of Community Service Boards and said, okay, this is the dollar amount that will be reduced over a six-month period, assuming Medicaid uh, expands and goes live and those individuals have coverage January 1st, which it looks like we are on track for that, so we're very excited about that. Um, how do we want to distribute that? Uh, and not only sort of which community service board has how much of, what is the amount of reduction to each community service board, but how is it reduced? And so that's, we worked with them to come up with the formula. And then the community service boards had an option for their dollar amount. Let's just say for those six months, it was a total of $600,000. Uh, then they could decide to, spread it out evenly over those six months, 
And so they would have a $100,000 reduction for each month for six months, or they could backload it. So less reduction up front, more reduction later. And we wanted to make that option available because when somebody gets coverage on January 1st, the revenue from the services that they're going to receive and that in January and February, it will take some time for the dollars to come in. And that's one of the main areas of concern that the community service boards and the counties have is um, it's one thing to bill for services on January 15th, for example. You've just provided the services and incurred the cost, and yet when will the revenue come in? Um, And so it's not just the total amount of revenue that they're going to be able to generate from their individuals who now have insurance. It is also how long will it take for those dollars to come in? And when I go around and I visit the community service boards, and I think we're up to about 29 of the 40 community service boards that that we've seen, what I tell them is um, that we're going to need them to be telling us how is it going in the late February, March timeframe. Um, Are they being uh, reimbursed? What are their reimbursements looking like? And the goal would be that in April timeframe, early April, we would have an initial snapshot of the, um, the realization of those dollars from their newly covered individuals. And if that's significantly off from the projections that we thought the community service boards, community service boards should be receiving, then there's going to be, a, I think, a very healthy discussion around, okay, what do we do? The general fund reduction was more than the dollars that they um, have been receiving. And so how are we going to uh, address that? And I assume this discussion will be, uh, or these reductions are actually in the second second year of the biennial budget. And uh, looking forward, there may be an opportunity to, to adjust this reduction going forward in the governor's budget for FY20. Is that correct? Yeah, I think, I think uh, those first um, dollars, those first three months uh, in um, – in this coming year. So January, February, and March will give us an initial snapshot of sort of how is it unfolding, and then we'll get some additional information in the April, May, June timeframe, and I think that will inform, okay, what do we need to do about the next year? If the numbers are way off, then again, it's going to be that robust discussion. You know, we're, there's been a lot of work put into trying to estimate the number of uninsured and the dollars that those newly covered lives will develop. So we expect that the revenue that will be generated will match the reductions, but we're not going to leave that to chance. We're going to be looking at the data very closely and working with the community service boards and the 95 counties in Virginia to um, sort of trust, but to, 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 to verify that that's actually what's occurring. Switching gears, the addiction crisis is a major concern for our members, and we know it's something you've worked on extensively. What is the status in Virginia? Do you think we're turning a corner in reducing overdose deaths? Uh, I I believe that we are, but but you know, in um, probably the best best um, uh, well, on Friday I was down in Southwest uh, Virginia at the Medical Society of Virginia, where Governor Northam was with us, and we spent the entire morning uh, talking about the issue. And um, he shared uh, in the past with the audience there in a press release that um, it's a major response to the addiction epidemic that we are engaged in, both at the local county level as well as state and federal. And um, we've received quite a bit of funds 
to address that issue and that if we keep doing what we're doing with the continued focus that we have on it, that he believes we can reverse the trends. And I'll tell you, Dean, what we've seen in the first quarter data of 2018, so that would be this past January, February, and March, we have seen a downturn in the number of individuals who are dying of an overdose from opioids. Now, that's very preliminary. We don't want to call that a trend because it's only one data point. We should be getting the second quarter data out in the next 30 days or so. I was just speaking with the office of the chief medical examiner about when we might see those. If we have another quarter of decreasing opioid deaths, then I think that's going to be a good sign that we are starting to, in a sense, like you said, turn the tide. And when you look at all the activities across the state, both in the health side as well as in the public safety side, all the active coalitions in the communities and counties across the state, what I see is every day we're doing more and more of the right activities to impact uh, the addiction epidemic. So we're going in the right direction, a little more time to see if we've started to really turn the tide, and we'll just keep building on the momentum that has already been built through the leadership of Governor Northam and the um, executive leadership team, Secretary Kerry, Secretary Moran, that they pulled together. Uh, Dr. Melton, I really hope that this is a downward trend on this. Uh, Me too. What are some of the major state projects underway uh, to address the addiction crisis right now? And what role do you see the community service boards playing? I think I would probably classify those into maybe three major initiatives. Uh, One would be Medicaid expansion. And we know that individuals who have insurance coverage seek care. Those who don't, they either don't seek care at all or they seek care through um, the ER or through a a channel that really isn't effective. And so we believe that uh, Medicaid expansion uh, will have a big impact. Other states that have expanded Medicaid have seen a um, 43% uh, increase in the number of prescriptions written to treat substance abuse. So it's sort of an indirect marker of the number of individuals who are getting into treatment because now they have coverage and they can afford the medications that help to treat um, addiction. And of course, the community service boards will benefit from their um, clients who didn't have coverage, now have coverage and can avail themselves of, of uh, treatment and medication in particular that they, they um, didn't have uh, prior to Medicaid expansion. Second area would be a program called the Addiction Recovery Treatment Services. So about um, in April of 2017, Uh, Many different state agencies, our agency, the Department of uh, Medical Assistance Services, DMAS, Medicaid, um, local jurisdictional leaders, local stakeholders got together and worked with the General Assembly to put in a waiver to Medicaid to get permission to use Medicaid dollars in a novel way to treat addiction. And that's what the ARCH program is. And what we've seen is that that program has resulted in a 50% increase in the number of providers providing treatment and about a 40% increase in the number of individuals getting treatment. And so that program's been going on about a year and a half now and just really getting rolling and will be available to the new individuals who now will have Medicaid coverage January 1st. It's a it's a model really getting state recognition uh, in terms of, of how you can use uh, Medicaid benefits to better uh, pay for and meet the need of individuals with addiction. Third area would be 
Um, starting back in the McAuliffe administration, the, uh, there was a convening of the uh, major leadership in the executive branch uh, to put together 50 recommendations uh, in collaboration with stakeholders. And then that transitioned into an executive leadership team that was continued by Governor Northam. And that team brings together not just uh, health and human resource agencies like the health department and, and my agency and social services, but also public safety. And so the, the Department of Corrections, uh, Department of Juvenile Services, uh, but also the uh, Department of Education, uh, Forensic Services, other agencies that you wouldn't necessarily think should be at the table, but they need to be at the table because addiction is so pervasive and affects all aspects of a, of a community, of a county. And I know you hear that from your members, uh, that the disease of addiction is affecting the local economy, um, the finance industry, just across the board. And then lastly would be the REVIVE program. REVIVE program is where uh, we utilize a reversal agent. We teach ind individuals how to use it. And then the, a lay person can use that to reverse an opioid overdose. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot, Dr. Melton, a All little right. bit. And uh, can you tell me, talk about some of the better local programs, uh, unique things that are being done in, in localities uh, to treat this substance abuse problem? Yeah, you bet, Dean. You know, I, um, there are so many. So let me just talk about the ones that I saw uh, when I was visiting uh, three CSBs up in Northern Virginia. So I went up and visited Fairfax and Arlington and Prince William. And uh, the one that jumps to mind is the program in Prince William that is in their local jail. And individuals who come into the local jail system for, um, for some um, uh, illegal activity have a choice. They can enroll in an addiction treatment program called DORM. And um, that's a four-month program. And we got to meet uh, the individuals who are in the program, the counselors that they work with, and it has cut their recidivism rate in half. And to hear the stories of the individuals in the program, in particular, how those who've been in the program three and a half months connect with and help those who are newly arrived in the program. And um, I asked a question to the audience. I said, how, how many of you um, are dads and have kids waiting for you at home? And three quarters of the, of the individual's arms went up. And they were sharing about how, you know, they all have different reasons for wanting to do, uh, to be, to, to get their addiction under control and, and be successful. But that was one of the big ones uh, that they shared. And then um, we heard about a program called Bridges um, to Success, Bridges to Community, sorry, in Arlington, where they connect their clients to all of the different um, nonprofits in the community. You know, Community Service Board typically. Um, only treats um, a small portion of the individuals in community, and their 80% uh, of the services are delivered by the private sector and nonprofit. And um, often community service boards find that they can connect individuals to those services to, um, to provide things that the community service board just can't. And so they in Arlington has, have developed um, um, a novel way to do that with 30 of their nonprofit organizations. And then the last thing that, that, I, that jumps to my mind is when I visited Fairfax, Fairfax is our largest community service board and um, probably the, 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 not just the largest in size, but the best uh, resourced and funded. And they have the full continuum of services, but even Fairfax, they, 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 they still 
don't um, don't have enough services to meet all the need. The need is so so um, huge, uh, Dean, out there that I mean we're still catching up. Uh, we'll be building out the continuum with Step Virginia. Even as we build that continuum out, we'll continue to need to build on it uh, in order to meet the need in our communities. Dr. Melton, thank you for being with us and sharing your thoughts on the County Pulse. Thank you for having me, Dean.